everybody, and welcome back to the Creative Kindergarten Podcast. My name is Amanda, and I'm an early childhood educator in Ontario, Canada. And this podcast is a place where I talk about all things kindergarten. I pick a topic for the week, and I share my thoughts, my ideas, my learning around that topic. Before I jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to remind you that my new book club series started last Thursday. I did a little introduction to the book and I talk about what the book is going to be about. The book is titled Literacy Foundations for English Learners. Each week I will talk about my reflections and my learning around each of the chapters of the book. It's really fantastic and I hope you will join me and listen in on those pod, uh, podcast episodes and also you know read the book with me. So that'll be on the same channel that you're listening to me on now but these will come out every Thursday for I think the next 10 or 11 weeks. I'm really excited about it and I hope you join me and listen to those episodes. For this week's episode of the regularly scheduled podcast, what I wanted to do was talk a little bit about the things that I have changed or added or expanded on in my programming this past year. I tried out some new things with my students. Some things worked really well and I want to continue, you know, adding to them and growing my program and my practice around them. So I I made a list. I actually sat down and I wrote a list (laughs) before I started recording this podcast so that I could share with you some of the things that I think really worked for me this past year and to see if that's something that maybe you want to start thinking about for your program as well. Maybe you've already tried them and loved them or maybe you've tried some of these things and it just did not work for you. So yeah, let's just hop right in and talk about some of those things that I'm reflecting on from this past year. The first thing I'm going to talk to you about, you have probably heard me talk about this ad nauseum at this point, and I share about it pretty much every week in on where my Instagram, but I have been doing three day read alouds with my students. I pick a book every week and I highlight some key vocabulary from that book. We talk about the structure of the story. I ask them inferencing questions. It has been really one of those things that I've added to my program that I wonder why I hadn't added in sooner. I often thought previously, like, the kids are not going to want to read the same book multiple times the same week. They're going to get bored. Why would they want to read the same book? And I could not have been more wrong. (laughs) The kids are always so excited to read books. Like, thinking about three, four, five, six-year-olds and how much they love structure. You know, they find a book that they like um, at home, like bedtime stories, and they want to reread the same books over and over and over again. They want to listen to the same songs over and over again. They want to listen to the same movies or videos over and over again. Our students love repetition. They love that structure. So why did I think that they were going to be bored reading a book three times? I don't know, especially when you're, you know, picking different aspects of the book to talk about all three times that you're reading it. But starting those three-day read-alouds really changed the way I teach vocabulary to my students. It's a lot more structured. And as we know, vocabulary is one of those like key aspects of learning how to read and comprehend what we're reading. Those Our students are going to need to have a good background in vocabulary knowledge. And so those three-day read-alouds really help with that, but it also helps with the comprehension aspect. We're giving explicit instruction on how to think about a story, how to think about a text, how to break it down, and how to really think critically about it. So 
I started these three day read alouds, I think back in October of this year. And really I have done one almost every single week since. And my students have loved each and every one of them. Like they've never complained about having to reread the same book. They've never, like they've always, they, not that they've never asked about the books, but they've never asked to change books or can we read a different book? Nothing like that. They're always very excited to know which book we're going to be reading for the three day read aloud. So if this is something that you want to learn more about, I have so many resources about how I structure my three day read aloud. So, uh, the three day read aloud plans. I have a free template you can use, but I also share every week the three day read aloud template. Um, that I use that week for my students so that, you know, if you want to try it out and you don't want to, you know, or you don't want to or you don't have time to put together your own plan, you can just take mine and try it out with your students. It worked so well for me. So I will put all the resources for those three day read alouds for you in the show notes if that is something you want to try out with your students. The next thing that I was thinking about and it's more of a reflection on my programming this past year and even last year as well coming out of you know those covid years is that i've really simplified my programming i remember doing pancake breakfast making cookies and muffins with my students um, going all out and you know transforming classrooms and i'm not saying that there isn't room for that in certain classrooms but with the students i had this year the classroom dynamics that we had this year, the energy that we had this year in the classroom, anything slightly out of the norm for my students really threw them off. They thrived on structure, they thrived on routine, and if I was to throw in anything, I wouldn't say extra, but anything different or anything out of the norm for them, it kind of just throws off the whole day. And this is when we're seeing those quote unquote behaviors start to emerge where, you know, they needed a lot more direction and they needed a lot more help from educators to help them regulate. So this year we, I just really simplified what I was doing with my students in order to keep them sane, but also to keep me sane. Like just as an example, because we were doing a field trip last week, um, another educator and I switched lunches. So we each get a half an hour lunch and she usually eats lunch first and I first and then I eat lunch second. And then because she was out on a field trip, we just switched our lunches. So I just ate lunch first and she ate lunch second. Oh my gosh, it threw off my students so much that I was not eating my lunch in the same time. And it took a while to get them to regulate and be able to just eat their lunches when I was in the room when I wasn't normally in the room. Like it, it was just, it really threw them off. And that was just switching my lunch around by a half an hour. And so uh, doing anything out of the norm with these students, this class this year, just wasn't going to like have the extra benefits that would have maybe happened in other years. Our students really are relying on those routines and those expected things to happen. And as soon as we changed anything, it really threw them off. So I'm thinking back and like, I'm like, oh, I didn't bake a lot with my students this year. I didn't, um, I didn't make any kind of special breakfast. We didn't do different kinds of activities with them. And of course we still had fun. We still did, you know, special activities with them, but they were all within the routines of the classroom. Like we didn't go out of our way to make um, 
extra waves in our routines on purpose because I just don't think that would have been a great thing for my students (laughs) this year. So not only am I reflecting on the fact that I simplified this past year, but I also am trying to keep in mind that, you know, I was reflective of the classroom and the students that I had this year and I tailored my program on what was best for them and not just on what I wanted to do or what I had done in the past with students. So that was really something that I've just been thinking about a lot um, as we're coming up to the end of um, end of the school year and really thinking about um, how this year went. And, you know, as I always want to reflect and grow in my practice, thinking about this past year and thinking like, oh, what would I want to do differently next year? And the truth is like, I don't know what set of students I'm going to have year to year. I don't know what their personalities are going to be like. And so you really have to adapt and make sure that you are doing a program that is, you know, for the benefit of your students. The next thing that kind of just goes hand in hand with this is that I used a lot more visuals this year than I have in any other year. Um, We started using a visual schedule last year where we took pictures of the students um, throughout like the different transitions and different routines of the day. And we made them into a visual schedule for students that they really relied on. And I continued that this year with students and it makes such a difference when they know what is happening. Again, uh, the, these students rely on that structure and they rely on knowing what's coming next and having a very clear understanding of what is happening throughout the day. So having that visual schedule is really important for my students. And, you know, any changes to that schedule that they could see were happening was a lot easier than just like kind of um, like throwing it at them in the moment because they did not do very well with any quick changes or um, anything new happening throughout the day. And I also had a lanyard where I used... um, I think they're board board maker uh, pictures where I had different board maker pictures on it and I put it around my neck and I had it. They had different ones like, um, you know, voice off, too loud, uh, stop, like different visual visuals that we would use throughout the day. And that helped quite a bit, especially as I was teaching a whole group where I wouldn't have to stop my lesson every time. I would just hold up the picture um, showing kids to, you know, um, lower the, like stop talking or lower their volume or whatever it might be. So the use of visuals was um, a lot in my classroom this year. And I have a feeling that visuals are going to be a key component of my program moving forward as students are entering into the kindergarten program with different needs. And um, we have to adjust how we are responding to those needs and having those visuals is really important. Um, I cannot share with you the visuals that I made because like board makers, copyrighted, trademarked, whatever it might be. So I can't share them with you, but I just Googled the board maker pictures that I needed. Your school might even have a license for board maker pictures. I think I our school does, but it was too complicated to figure out. So don't tell anybody this, but I just Googled um, the visuals that I needed, the pictures that I needed. And then I just used Canva to make them because they were so, um, it was just really easy to make. And so having um, that on my lanyard on the daily really helped in different ways. Again, kind of in the same realm that I've been talking about now is that I started explicitly teaching problem solving skills to my students. I'd always taught it 
in the moment, like if a student was having a problem, either a social problem or one in the classroom where, you know, they couldn't open their snack, I would one-on-one -on -one teach them how to solve that problem. But I don't know if it's this set of students this year, but I have a feeling it is just children in general and how things have changed a little bit after we've um, been, we were out of school and out of our routines for a few years. Students really need explicit instruction on how to solve their own problems and also in explicit instruction on, you know, when is it a problem that you can solve and when is it a problem that, you know, you need an adult to help you solve. And so I've talked about these before and I will link um, that episode in the show notes for you. I was using problem solving task, task cards with my students um, with the help of a puppet to really talk through different problems that we might be seeing in the classroom. And then we would talk through how to solve them I would give them the exact words that they could use. I was giving them the exact scenarios that I was seeing popping up in our classroom. I really tailored it to my students and how um, they were trying to solve problems in our classroom. And at this point, you know, I often tell them like, this is a problem you know how to solve. We, we talked about this. How can you solve this problem? And I put it back on them a lot more, especially at this point in the school year. So if I was to go back, I would do that sooner. Honestly, I would have started using those problem solving task cards to explicitly teach problem solving skills like way back in September. I came up with the idea for that after like pretty much banging my head against the wall with with having the same problems arising in the classroom on the daily. And I just wish I had done something like that much sooner. And so yeah, definitely the one reflection I have on that is just to start it sooner. <laughs> having those um, lessons around teaching problem solving skills like hey you can't open your snack go get a pair of scissors you don't have a pencil go get a pencil like you don't need to ask um, for a pencil every single time you don't need to ask to open a snack every single time like there's other ways for you to solve that problem not everything has to be a teacher problem um, you know a, a, a kid has something that you want to play with well how do you ask for that toy or that material really giving them the words that they have to use uh, was really has changed a lot of the dynamic dynamics hasn't solved all the problems. I'm not going to say like, oh, this was like a miraculous way of like dealing with all the social and <laughs> individual problems in our classroom, but it definitely helped. And it definitely helped a lot of our students start to see like, when can they start solving problems on their own? And I often hear them say, that we used, they named it Lily. Um, I often hear them say, oh, what would Lily do? And so it kind of prompts the other kids to think about, oh, what can I do to solve this problem instead of going to a teacher for help? So um, the one thing I would think with these problem solving things and those task cards, I would just do it sooner. <laughs> I'm going to start them way first thing in September. We're going to start bringing out a puppet. We'll name the puppet and we will start those explicit instruction around problem solving skills way sooner in the school year just to save my sanity basically and save and give them this skills that the students need to be successful in a classroom with 28 30 students the last part i was thinking of and it might come to you as no surprise um it's talking about i was thinking about my the literacy skills hmm, i'm gonna restart that part the last part that i was reflecting on the last piece of this that I was reflecting on, and it might come as no surprise to all of you that have listened to me for a while, is my literacy instruction. 
Um, if you've been a long time listener of this podcast, you know I have been learning about structured literacy instruction and the science of reading for a few years now. And I've been adding to my knowledge and my program ever since and finding effective ways to teach literacy skills to my students. And we started off the year with most of my students not knowing all the letters and sounds in the alphabet to at this point in the school year, all of my students know most of the letters and sounds. There is a few students who are still, you know, having to be taught a few more of those sounds, but most of them, they know all of the sounds. And uh, a lot of my year two students are just reading. I think with the exception of one, all of my students can read um, decodable sentences and decodable books that are at the, the level that they can decode. No problem. We are working on building fluency. We're building vocabulary. We're building comprehension. But their decoding skills are amazing. And so I was thinking back on this past year and my literacy instruction and like what else I want to do next year to make it even better because I'm constantly reflecting on my practice. And so definitely I want to keep building on the things that I have learned this year. Um, That book that I was just telling you about literacy instruction for English learners has helped me in understanding a lot. We have a lot of um, English language learners in the classrooms And so having that book as a tool and a resource is amazing. And I can't wait to be able to use it even more next year and implement more of the structure of that book next year. So really, I I don't want to change anything in my literacy instruction. I just want to keep building on those skills and really perfecting how I do it. My school board hasn't adopted any program yet to teach like phonological awareness skills or phonics skills. I'm wondering if that is something that is going to be coming out at some point, if they will have a recommendation. I know a lot of people talk about UFLY and um, Hegarty, and I wonder if there will be a recommendation from um, our school board or something, a program that we will have to implement. I know that the Ontario Uh, government is supposed to come out with a new literacy curriculum. Um, Hopefully it comes out soon enough so that we actually can wrap our minds around it before the new school year. But I'm looking forward to continuing to build on that literacy instruction and then to be able to implement whatever program or whatever curriculum might come out over the next few months as well. One of the things that I did start teaching this year that was new So I had a really solid phonics routine that I had started last year that I really loved. And so this year, um, when I was working on high frequency words with my students, I used the heart word method. Again, I will link things like this in the show notes for you in case I'm saying something and you're like, I've never heard of this before in my life. Um, I will link the heart word method in the show notes if that's something that you want to learn more about for high frequency words. Um, But basically it's, you know, kids can decode a lot of our high frequency words and like it it doesn't have to be taught by heart you can just students know what the sound for i and the sound for t they can easily decode that word but a word like the where they might not have the code yet for the digraph th and then the e doesn't make the eh sound it's making the uh sound and so that would be a heart word because they have to remember some of those parts by heart by the time you teach the digraph th, that will no longer be something that they have to know by heart, but the e making the uh sound is going to be um, one of those heart um, parts of the word because they have to know it by heart. So the heart word method has really worked very well 
for teaching high frequency words, but it also gave me the opportunity to talk about other things. And I didn't even realize I was going to be talking about them until I started teaching some high frequency words like me, go, she, he. I'm trying to think of any other ones um, that would fall into this. But basically, I was able to teach them open syllables using high frequency words. So I'm not going to go into a whole lesson about different syllable types right now. Depending on where you look, there's like six or seven syllable types. Two of the syllable types are open and closed syllables. Basically, an open syllable is a syllable that ends in a vowel that doesn't have a consonant stopping it from making its long sound. So M E M E E is making that long sound because there's no consonant after it, so it's an open syllable. And whereas some like if you put a T there, it's m et met, and the E is making a short sound because now it's a closed syllable with a consonant after the vowel. I was able to teach open and closed syllables with the use of high frequency words. And now students are applying this to new words that they are encountering. And it's amazing to listen to them talking, talk about open and closed syllables. Again, depending on where you're looking, there's six or seven types. Uh, we started breaking down students' names the other day. And one of the students' names had a, 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 had a two, it was two syllables. The first syllable was a closed syllable. The second syllable was an open syllable. And they were able to tell me, oh, it's making that E sound at the end because it's an open syllable. And I just about fell out of my chair in happiness that these kindergarten students are understanding syllable types in kindergarten just based on, you know, me talking about it through our high frequency words like me, go, he, she, there's more. I can't remember them at the moment. Oh, I have a list in front of me. I could probably just look at it. Um, uh, B is another one. We would be another one. So having um, the opportunity through the high frequency words, they're decodable. You just have to teach them the code. And so instead of having them memorize that B, E says B instead of B, I talk to them about open syllables and why that E is making its long sound. And now it's no longer a heart word that they have to know by heart. This is a word that they can just decode. And now they're applying that knowledge to other aspects of the of the of the English language as well, which is really amazing. And they're questioning things. This is the other part. They're they're questioning why certain things are happening when they're reading words, and it's really amazing um, to watch them like try to figure out different things like that. Um, I also taught them like when we were talking about the word have. I'm pretty sure it was the word have. And we talked about, you know, why why at the end, if that E is at the end, it's supposed to be that magic E. It's supposed to be telling that A to make its long sound instead of saying the short sound. But in have, it's making the short sound with the magic E at the end. And so I, we started talking about the fact that, you know, the silent E at the end of words has like seven different jobs. One of them is that magic E that makes the vowel say its long sound. But for have, it has a different job because... No word in English language can end in a V. So the E is there to protect the word from um, ending in a V. So And so students are starting to see this and are starting to understand that there are rules to be applied. And then when they're writing, they can apply those rules to their writing. Sometimes they need like a gentle reminder. When they're writing a word, I'll, be, I'll say like, oh, that word ends in a V. 
I wonder, should that word be ending in a V? And then all of a sudden, like, no, no words in an English language can end in a V. Like, there must be an E at the end there. And I'm like, yeah, there's an E at the end. And then they're adding E's. And so they're really able to start thinking about them. And through repetition, like, they're still just, like, four, five, six years old, through repetition and being exposed to this, you know, they're going to remember these rules and they're going to be able to apply them a lot more in their writing and be able to do it automatically after a few, you know, practices and attempts at doing it. So having been able to teach them um, all of these rules and using the opportunity of high frequency words to do that has been like a really huge part of the program that I've been teaching them this year that has been really great. So definitely, you know, take those opportunities when you're teaching different aspects, like when you're teaching phonics, you know, you're teaching the phonics skills, I'm teaching the long and short sounds for vowels, and we're building on our knowledge. But then when you're teaching high frequency words, you can embed other things into that as well. Um, when you're teaching vocabulary with your students, there's so many different opportunities that arise throughout your literacy instruction where you can talk about syllables, you can talk about like the different rules of the English language. You know, I I often say, oh, I noticed something about this word. I wonder if you guys noticed something as well. And they'll pop up and be like, oh yeah, that has a V at the end of the word, or that should have an E there. Or, you know, they'll, they'll start noticing things and they'll blow you away with what they're able to notice. And it's really amazing to see it happening. But you don't have to implement everything right away, but as you learn about like the science of reading and how brains learn how to read um, in a very unnatural process for most uh, kids, it's going to be one of those things that you can just add little bits to your programming that make it really um, impactful for students. And the other thing is I was able to get through all of Hegarty this year. Last year we were doing Hegarty and I did it very, not inconsistently but not as consistently as I would like to and for whatever reason I like because I didn't keep up with it very much I didn't get to finish the year um, having finished Hegarty I think I was just a couple weeks away from finishing it but this year um, because it's only 35 weeks of Hegarty and we have a few more weeks of school um, I finished Hegarty last week and the students were so excited. I went to flip the page to go to the next week after we had finished our lesson. I said, we're all done. We finished the Hegarty book and they were so excited and proud of themselves. And so I'm still doing phonological awareness with them. I'm using a different product. It's from the Mitten State teacher where she has these, um, I think they're called, it's called pocket phonological awareness. I'll put it on um, the show notes for you, but it's on these rings. And I've just been going through the different skills on the rings that she has to keep working on phonological awareness skills um, because we're done Hegarty and I'm really excited. We still have four weeks left of school. So I'll be able to work through those rings um, as well so that we're still working on our phonological awareness skills. But yeah, I think that is everything that I was thinking about and reflecting on from this past year of things that, you know, I want to ensure that I recognize how I've grown. Like I don't, and grown my practice, I should say. And so I really want to make sure that, you know, I'm keeping that in mind as we're approaching the end of the school year and everybody's exhausted. And I'm thinking back to the growth that my students have shown and thinking about all the amazing things that they have learned. But as educators, like we have done amazing things too. And I want you to keep in mind that, you know, you have done such amazing things in your classroom. You know, our students have shown so much growth this past year, 
But I also want you to keep in mind as an educator, just like give yourselves a pat on the back so that you can also tell yourself like, yeah, my students have grown a lot, but I've also grown so much too. And my practice has grown and I've done amazing things because we often take this time of the year to like celebrate our students, but we also need to celebrate ourselves. So make sure that you think back on your year and think about all the amazing things that you have yourself and for your students. But yeah, I just want to say thank you again so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Creative Kinderen podcast. If you haven't checked out the book club series yet, the introduction episode, make sure you go over and listen to that now and make sure you're following me on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to me on so that you know whenever I put out new episodes of the podcast for right now, it's every Tuesday and Thursday because of that book club series. So yeah, make sure you're following me, follow me over on Instagram as well at creative kindergarten blog on TPT and make sure you check out the show notes. I will have everything that I talked about in this podcast episode uh, linked for you. You can always DM me over on Instagram as well if you're missing any of those links. But again, thank you so much for joining me and I will talk to you all again next time. Bye. Bye.